If you're there, Matthew chapter 5, we'll read just a few verses. We'll start in verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's all we'll read. So, as you... This, in the near beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, really, Jesus' first public sermon as uh, He begins His ministry on this earth, and really through the, the whole sermon, that's 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, He's correcting a lot of doctrine and a lot of teaching of the law and the, the Word of God that's been corrupted. And really, in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, the same corruption exists in our world today. Uh, very famously, I guess, well known, the beginning of chapter 5, the Beatitudes, and Jesus is revealing who's blessed. Well, if, if you ask people today if they're blessed, their blessings consist of, of worldly things. That's the way that blessings are viewed. And Jesus is saying it's, it's not the, the ones that have much or that are blessed outwardly or that are overly joyed, but it's the poor in spirit and uh, the meek and the humble, the merciful and the pure in heart. Those are the ones that are truly blessed. And so he comes here to verse 17, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law. So that word means to loosen or to disintegrate. So as we think about the work that the Lord Jesus has done, and, and I, I, I pray that the Spirit would help us to get uh, the gospel of Jesus and the law together. They go together. They're not opposed to one another. They're not uh, against, but they go right together. And I, I hope the Lord will help us to help you and we could see and recognize that. So, But in the mind of man now, they take the work of the Lord Jesus and the grace of God and certainly there's, there's marvelous forgiveness, mercy, compassion found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they take that and they, they use that to loosen the law. Well, the law is not that important anymore. The law really doesn't matter anymore today because we're not under the law, we're under grace. Even those words are in the book of Romans. It says that. But does that mean that the law is destroyed? That, that Jesus came and because He's come, there's no more law and the requirements of that no longer matters. Jesus says, don't think. Don't let that thought. Don't suppose that I've come to loosen the law. I've not come to loosen the law. I've not come to make it easier for everybody to live it and get in. 
And you know, he's going to evidence that in the rest of this chapter. You, you all, you've probably heard this chapter many times. But he's going to say, you've heard that it said you shall not kill. But I say if you hate your brother without a cause, you're guilty. You've heard that it said you shall not commit adultery. Well, I say if you look on a woman in lust, you've committed adultery. I, I, it's been said uh, uh, that that you can give a bill of divorcement. I say that saving for the cause of fornication, that if you divorce, you commit adultery. And on, on down, there's other examples that he takes this Word of God, the law of God really, and he's not loosening it. You see that? I could say, well, I've not murdered anybody. Have you ever hated without a cause? So see, Jesus really, He tightens it down a little tighter. He brings it because the Pharisees, they had taken the law and uh, they had the authority in their own minds and through the Sanhedrin court, well, you know, if it's necessary, we can loosen this commandment so that we can do this and then we can bring it back in or, or however. And the commandments and the strength of the law had been taken from it so that I could be justified in the way that I live. That goes on in every individual mind. We feel like, well, well, we're in this situation and I'm here, I can break this law and it really not be sin. I can break this commandment and, and there really not be anything wrong with it. Well, Jesus came not to destroy, but He come to fulfill. Now that word means to cram full or to level up. If you've ever went to the farmer's market and bought a sack full of, of corn, or you know what you want? You don't want one with a foot of room at the top, but you want one that's crammed full and shook down. You want to get your money's worth. Well, that's what the Lord said He's come to do to the law, to fill it full, to complete its requirements. So, the, well, the law's not a manner to come to God anymore. Well, if, if man's going to come to God, the law must be fulfilled. The law's not been destroyed or put away. So what is the law then? Well, let's, let's look in a place or two if you would. In Galatians chapter number 3, to, uh, to understand what Jesus has done with the law. The law's not destroyed. So in Galatians 3 verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So he's speaking here that God promised, and really God took an oath, and God swore, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself that through Abraham's seed, this Savior was going to come that was going to redeem man from his trespasses. And that's the promise that we have here. And we go on, and this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. So God makes this promise to Abraham. And then 430 years, Abraham's long dead and gone. Isaac is long dead and gone. Jacob is dead and gone. Joseph and those 12 sons, they're all dead. 430 years later, God brings them out of Egypt and gives the law to Moses. Now, God did not intend on that disannulling the promise. You see that? 
This wasn't a, another means for man to be saved. God had promised that Jesus was coming to be the Savior of the world. But God gives the law after this promise, not against it and not to disannul, but listen to what he says. That that was 430 years after cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. The law did nothing to change the promise that God gave to Abraham. The means of salvation was then and always has been through Jesus Christ, this promise that God made to Abraham. So here comes the law. And you know what the law does? The law, when it's taken wrongly, it gives me a means to say, well, I've kept more of it than you have. And I've kept more of it than the world has. And, and I've kept more of it than, than most of my family and people that I know have. And that makes me to be a, a pretty good fella by the way I'm measuring amongst you. But that's not the purpose of the law. The law was given, the Bible says in 19, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. So the law was given because God says, I'm sending my son through Abraham's seed to be a savior from sin and transgression. And man says, well, I don't have any sin because I'm just as good as anybody else is. I'm just as good as the people at the church. I'm just as good as the Jew. And so God gives the law. He adds the law to lay down additionally. So the law came for this purpose, that I might see my need and look for the promise that was yet to come. That the law would bring to my heart and to my mind the knowledge of sin. He says in Romans chapter number 3, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. So the law was, the law was never intended to bring me any justification. I cannot take the law and justify myself as being right or righteous outside of of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says in Romans 5, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. So God sends the law of God and lays it out there uh, in the Ten Commandments and really in much more. And the purpose of that was that I could look at what the righteousness of God is and not think that I'm righteous, not think that I'm good, but recognize what a transgressor that I really am. Recognize that I, I do not measure up to the standard of the righteousness of God. Now, there's a standard in our world of righteousness. And you've got a standard of righteousness. You look at somebody and say, well, well there's a, a pretty good fella. That's a good person. That's a fine lady. A fine young man there. A good person. But you know, God's give out His standard of righteousness. And for me to be good and just in God's eyes, I must measure up to God's standard of holiness. See, this doctrine today that, that everybody's going to get into heaven and God's just merciful and there's no standard whatsoever, that's a lie. It's a lie. God does have a standard. God revealed that in the law and God said this is what it takes in order for you to be righteous 
and be accepted with me. And if I do not measure up to the law, now how do we measure up? Five out of ten? Seven out of ten. Seven out of ten would be passing. In school that would be a seventy. But have you kept seven out of ten? I'm going to say to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've, we've come a long ways from keeping that commandment. Right, true. And I'm going to say loving your neighbor as yourself, we've long surpassed keeping that one as well. Right. We've right. failed both of those, so we're already at an 80. Just looking at the 10. Have you ever lied? Okay, so there's three. Boy, we're getting close to failing by man's standard. But you know what God's standard is? God's standard is if, if you fail in one point, you're guilty of all. Because in order for God to stamp you as being just and righteous, you must be completely, perfectly righteous. And you know what man says? Man looks at me and looks at Bear and looks at the church and says, well, nobody can do that. Nobody can be perfectly righteous. You're crazy to think that I'm going to live perfect and that anybody's going to live perfect. That's exactly the purpose of the law. The law is there to help me to see I don't have any hope in this. For a man to take the law of God and to begin to think that he's going to be accepted with God, that would be complete foolishness, wouldn't it? So there, the law was given that the offense might abound. The law was given that I might have knowledge of sin. The law was given that I might recognize what I am and how needy I am of a Savior. As long as I'm good in my own eyes, I don't need to be saved. As long as I'm healthy, I don't need a doctor. As long as my car's running, I don't need a mechanic. And as long as I'm good... I don't need a Savior. But you know, the law says that I'm far from good. And the law says that you're far from good. The law reveals not what I think is good. Well, preacher, I think this. Well, I believe this. Well, I wonder how far that's going to get you. I wonder how far that what I think is going to get us. I tell you, we, we better look to the revealed Word of God. What I think does not change God. And so Jesus says, I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So the law has, not even in Jesus, has the law been destroyed and thrown in the trash can, but Jesus came to perfectly fulfill, to cram full the requirements of the law of God. The law requires that you be sinless. Jesus was sinless. The law requires that you be perfect from day one throughout all your days. And Jesus was perfect and pure throughout all of His days. Well, how do you know that? Well, now, I didn't know Him personally. Never met Him. I don't know how good a fella that He was by my sight. But I know this. I know that He died. I know that they buried Him. And I know that He resurrected from the dead. We've got eyewitness account 
that he resurrected and raised from the dead. And, and you know, well, I don't, I don't believe I don't believe what the Bible says, and a lot of people don't believe it. But they believe what some historian wrote about Rome back when Caesar was the king. Why could we not believe the the doctrines and the written eyewitness statements? of the Word of God today and recognize that Jesus rose from the dead. Now in order for Him to get up from the dead and to ascend back to God, He had to be perfect or He would not have been acceptable. And so the Lord filled full the law. Verily I say unto you, truly, for truly I say unto you, I said this just a few weeks back, would not anything that... God said, be true. He can't lie. But you know, here's God and He's going to say, truly I say to you. Putting emphasis on what He's going to say, not one jot or one tittle of the law shall fail. So in our language today, we would say not one T will go uncrossed and not one I will go undotted. You know how easy that is to do? If you're writing a big paper and you're handwriting it, it's easy to miss an I and not dot it. Jesus says, I'm going to dot every I of the law. There's not going to be one portion of this law that's going to be let down or forsaken. Every bit of it has got to be fulfilled. And He's come to fulfill that. Now, have you fulfilled it? Have you fulfilled full the requirements that the law of God has laid out for you? Have you lived the requirements of the law of God? Well, if not, and do we really have to say if? We, we know by the Word of God. I, I said in Romans 3.20, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified because the law has grouped together and shut up in prison all of mankind, that every mouth be shut and everyone become guilty before God. There's where the law has man shut up in. And why are we shut up there? You think about down in Egypt. You know, the children of Israel were down in Egypt. They came there uh, when Joseph was the leader and through Joseph, Egypt was greatly blessed and their kingdom grew and they prospered. And uh, they, they dwelt there happily with Pharaoh's protection. They had Pharaoh's land and Pharaoh's good. And you know, as, as long as they were blessed down in Egypt, they wouldn't worried about coming back to Israel. But you know, there's going to come a Pharaoh that's going to begin to afflict them. Why are they being afflicted? that they might cry out to God. See, God's got a promise to accomplish and God is going to afflict them that they would cry out and seek for this deliverance. That's what the law's there for. It's there to shut us up in prison that we would seek this deliverance from the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but you talk about how close it is now. Heaven and earth... He says in Luke, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one jot or one tittle of the law to fail. So man that thinks now that he's going to skirt into heaven without a perfect record by the word, by the law of God, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for that to happen. 
Now I realize with God all things are possible, but can you make heaven and earth cease to be? Can you cause heaven and earth to pass? Well, friends, there's no way that we can go before God and be accepted by our works out of the law. So he says, Whosoever therefore shall break. But there's still an emphasis on the law. See, Jesus Jesus fulfilled in 2 Corinthians 5, the last verse of that chapter. He says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So Jesus filled full the requirements of the law. He was sinless. So then why did He die? Because God made Jesus to be sin for us. God took our sin off of us. He lifted our guilt, our shame, our ungodliness, and our transgressions, and He laid those on the back of His Son. They were imputed unto Him. And the the stripes and the beatings and the, the mockings and the crucifixion and the death, all of that was a result of our sin and not His. God was imputing His wrath on Jesus that man could be freed from sin, have redemption, and, and you know, not have to worry. How much of this world can you get and never have to worry about it again? The more and more we get, the more we worry and the more we're cumbered about. But God's gave a complete salvation. That's sure because Christ has bore our sins. He perfectly met the requirements of the law. He took our sins upon Him and God made Him to be that. God made Him to be sin. God punished Him for that sin that you and I could have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed unto our account. But now now that we're in Jesus, well, the law doesn't matter anymore. Jesus fulfilled it. And, you know, if I break a commandment, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus paid for that. Now, is that the attitude of somebody that's been redeemed. That's the attitude of of the world and unregenerate. I recognize that. But he says here, whosoever shall break, one of the least, not a great commandment, well, we know we shouldn't murder, we shouldn't steal, but Jesus says whosoever breaks one of the least of these and teach men so, they shall be called least in the kingdom of God. So even in Jesus, you see, the law still matters. The law is still God's standard for righteousness and for holiness. And in Jesus, in Jesus the law is fulfilled for me. The law is fulfilled for you in Jesus. But by the regenerating of the Spirit now, we've been made to be new creatures. God has changed our mind. He's changed our heart. He's changed our life and our behavior in this world. And because we're in Jesus, because we've been regenerated, we've now got a new view of the law. The law's what pleases God. And so inwardly, and I recognize we've got two natures, 
We've got the inward nature that's a son of God. We've got the outward nature that's of this world and of the devil. But inwardly, that man that's born again, there is a sincere desire to keep the law of God. I would like to live pleasing unto God. And though we're weak, and we are weak, and though we fail and we do fail, yet inwardly I say, God, would you give me more grace that I might keep the law a little closer, that I could live for you a little better. It's not an excuse to sin and break the law, but God's changed my mind and now given me a desire to keep the law. Whereas before now, trying to find a way around it and to justify myself, that might have been all right before. But now inwardly, there's a Son of God that's been born not of man, not of blood, but by the Spirit of God. And that man desires to keep the law. And so those that would teach, that well, you can just live however you want to. And you're saved and you're alright. That is, that is a prominent teaching today. The number one place you hear that is at the funeral home. That they, everybody that dies is justified. And they're better off. And they're in heaven. But this Word of God does not agree with that doctrine. Those that can live outside of the law and teach others to live outside of the law and be alright with that. Have no conviction and no troubling of God. The Bible says that they're the very least. But he that shall keep and shall teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of God. So in this day, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they were, as man would judge, they were the most righteous. They were the most godly. They were the most dedicated. They prayed more. They went to church more. They lived straighter, outwardly speaking, than anybody else on the face of the earth. And Jesus is going to say, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So think about how shocking that must have been. You're going to have to be better. Well, I, I tell you what, this, this works today as well. Find the best man or the best woman that you can find on the earth. The one that's got the most moral way of living. The one that's the the kindest and the loveliest. You know what you're going to have to have? More righteousness than they've got if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You find the most religious person on the face of the earth, you're going to have to have a greater righteousness than they have to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because by the works and deeds of man, we cannot be accepted with God. And if those are going to be accepted... They're not going by their works. You heard the song, all of my righteousness is as filthy rags. So as God looks on man and His goodness, 
That's the way God views our righteousness. All of our good works, we've, we've got a, a case full of treasure in our mind and we say, look at all the good I've done through my life. Look at how good I've been and how, how I've served God and how I've done the right thing, how I've done better than these other folks have done. And when God looks upon our goodness, He sees filthy rags. That, that's, that that would bring shame to us. And before God, that's what our goodness is. Because we've not kept the law. We're going to have to have more than outward righteousness if we're going to be accepted with God. We're going to have to be better than be moral if we're going to be accepted with God. We're going to have to be better than a church member if we're going to be accepted with God. Well, how do I get any better than that? We're going to have to be put inside the Lord Jesus who fulfilled the requirements of the law for us. He's the propitiation. He's the atonement and the appeasement of the wrath of God. It was His blood that was shed that my blood would not have to be shed and that the law could be fulfilled. Well, preacher, He's thrown the law away. No, the law stands. The law stands as strong today as it did in Moses' day. Well, if, if that's the case then, how are these people saved? If the law is as strict and as straight as it always was, how can people be saved and go to heaven? It's this imputation. It's that God has, by His operation of the Spirit in their lives, He has taken their sin from them and given them the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. I, I, I love the example and I think it's something we can ever want to understand that if, if you've got a bill coming up to pay and you do not have the money in your account to cover it, you don't have the money at home to, to put into your account to cover it and somebody comes along, some family member, some loved one and they put their money into your account. Now you're able to pay that bill but not with your money. Somebody else imputed that to you and you're free to spend that to pay. Well, that's, that's what the Lord's done with Jesus' righteousness who had an abundance of righteousness. Perfect righteousness. And God looks at our account. He looks at the record of our life and God says they have come short and they failed and they're sinful and they're wretched. They transgressed my law. But in Jesus, Jesus says I've paid their debt put my righteousness onto their account and as God looks at the bottom line of our account He sees paid in full He sees that we're in Jesus Christ and that the law in us has been fulfilled I didn't fulfill it the church hasn't fulfilled it I'm not living it out to fulfill it one day but in Jesus the law of God and its requirements were fulfilled for me Amen so the law then, there's been, you see, there's been no injustice here. If I get a speeding ticket going back home and I know the right people and I've got enough money, I can butter the right bread and I can have that disappear. You know that. But you know, in, in order for that to happen, the law is going to have to be circumvented. Justice is really not going to be served. Do you see that? 
because I was speeding and I was caught. But I've skirted around it. See, God's law cannot be skirted around. God's law cannot be circumvented. There can be no injustice with God. And so God's provided a sacrifice in which the penalty that was owed has been paid. The law's not been uh, scooted under the rug. Sin's not been swept under the rug. But God brought it ever be it to the point of Calvary. He put it on the back of His Son Jesus and Jesus bore that sin there. He bled, He died, and He made perfect payment that we could be saved and the law still be fulfilled. The law is still fulfilled in Jesus. And as God looks on us now, the law is fulfilled. We're accepted because we're perfect in His sight in Jesus Christ. See, that 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 was impossible by our ability and by our deeds has been brought to pass by the working of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. A righteousness that, I mean... By this point in our lives, anybody that's old enough to listen, we recognize we broke the law one time. Now if we broke it once, and righteousness is perfection, if I broke it, I I can't go back and change that. That's water spilt on the ground. You'll never gather that back up. And so, as I've already broken the law, my hope of ever being righteous of myself is long gone. It's already passed. But you know, Solomon sat down one day and he said, I've sat down and I've tried to figure up the account. It's in Ecclesiastes. Counting one by one. You know, Solomon, he just couldn't count how many times that he had broken the perfect law of God. Could you, I mean, how many would you say? So if the law is going to stand, how far are we from being accepted before God? See, man thinks, well, boy, I'm, I'm right there at it, and I believe I can get in. When in reality, God's revealed that of ourselves and in the condition that man's naturally in, we've got no prayer of ever being accepted with Him. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can come that the law could be upheld, that the debt that I owe could be paid, and that I could be set free and enter into the glory of heaven. Now outside of Jesus... I've broken the law. I've transgressed. And there's this debt that I owe God. I've broken the law and I owe God. So then outside of Jesus, how's that going to be paid? It's got to be paid for. And outside of Jesus, if I'm outside of Christ, Christ hasn't paid for it. Well, we're going to knock and we're going to say, well, we went to church and we was good people. And we testified and we done all these good works and the Lord's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You're not of my family. That's what He's saying. You're not a member of my family. 
And so when, when he says that, how's that sin going to be paid for? I've got to pay for that. That payment then, if Jesus has not paid for it, and every debt has got to be paid, I'm going to have to pay for that. Now what's it take to pay for sin? Death. The wages of sin is death. And so, death of the body. Now if that was true, we wouldn't have anything to be afraid of. Because when I died and got planted in the grave, why my sins would be paid for, I've died. But you know, He's never, all through the book, it's not the death of the natural body that God's concerned in talking about. God told Adam and Eve, He said, the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Not the week after, not down the road, but Adam, the day you eat of that, you're going to die. Well, they eat of that, and Adam lived 700 more years. So either the death of the body was not what God was talking about, or God told a lie to Adam. There's only two, there's only two ways that it can be. God can't lie. So it must be another death that God was speaking about when He told Adam, you're going to die. It was a spiritual death. But you know there's a problem there. That spiritual man, how did he come? We know the body. God formed man out of dust. He formed the body. And there was Adam, freshly made out of dust, with lungs and with a heart and with a mind and everything. But there was no life in that body. He was just a corpse is all that he was. And God passed by and God breathed into his nostrils. God's Spirit breathed into Adam's nostrils and Adam became a living soul. Not a living man, but a living soul. And the soul that, that has come from God, as God is eternal, the soul is eternal. And the soul can't die. And so the lake of fire, the place prepared for the devil and his angels, the place he speaks when he's talking to the rich man, the rack is the meaning of the word. A place of torture is where the rich man went when he lifted his eyes in hell. And there's man, he's placed in hell, and how long is he going to be there? Till the whole debt's paid for. Till every sin and every transgression has been paid. But man can't pay for one of those, you see. We've transgressed countless numbers of times. We're unable to pay for one. And therefore, there we are in hell from now all through eternity. So we're either in Jesus Christ where we have righteousness through His works, or we're outside of Jesus Christ, where we're in danger of the judgment, and we've got to pay for our sins. So listen to this in uh, Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So here's the question. When you begin to talk about forgiveness and righteousness in Jesus, man says, well, I believe in Jesus. You don't know my heart. I believe in Jesus. I'm forgiven and I'm free to live how I want to live. 
Well, that question is in the Word of God. Paul says, can we continue on living in sin after that we come to Jesus so that grace may abound? He doesn't just say no. He says, God forbid. And Paul's going to ask a question now. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So here's the question Paul's asking. If you've been placed in Jesus and God has resurrected you from the dead, He's changed your thought, your mind, and your heart, and now inwardly there's a desire to please God and keep the law, how can that man that God has changed everything about, how can that man continue to live like he did when he was lost and undone? There's Lazarus. He's in the grave. He's wrapped in grave clothes and the rock's over. God's going to call for Lazarus and Lazarus is going to raise from the dead. And he's just going to lay in there with the dead bodies. And he's not going to come out and he's going to stay in those grave clothes and nothing's going to change. No, when, when he resurrects, he don't want to stay with the dead anymore because he's no longer dead. You see that spiritually? That when somebody comes to life in Jesus, they can't continue on in sin because God has made them to be new creatures. He says in verse 16, verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid that even though I'm in Jesus and my sin's been forgiven, I'm not turned loose to do as I please. But I've been adopted into the family. We're now children of God. And God is now our Father. He's our leader. He's our God. He's our corrector. And because of what He does for us, He keeps us where we ought to be. So those that go then with no correction and can live as they please with no conviction and are never troubled by their lifestyle, what condition are those people in? God says, can we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That is an absolute and a strong no. So how can people continue in sin because they're not dead to it. You see that? They've never been resurrected. If God does this work, they not only obtain righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and Sadducees, not by works, but they're inheriting the works of Jesus Christ. They're being imputed to them. And not only do they receive that righteousness from God, they receive a a new life, a new man, a new heart, and a new mind. And their lives are changed forever by the work of God. And so that change, that work of God, producing the new man, if there's no new man... And you can say new woman as well. If there's no new creature made, if there's no Holy Spirit, He's going to say in Romans chapter number 8 that we're not of them that walk after the flesh. 
Romans chapter 8 verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And if you go on down to verse number 8 now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ he's none of his. So those that are in Jesus the law's been fulfilled. Already in Jesus the law's fulfilled. But there's more to the work than just I'm justified and now I'm free to do how I want to. Boy, if that was the case, things would look a whole lot different, wouldn't they? True. If God just saved us and turned us loose and said, go do however you want to. God didn't do me like that. He didn't at all. I don't know that He's ever done it to anybody that's truly been saved. By the Word of God here, it's not those that walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. They've been born of the Spirit, and now they live the rest of their days with the Holy Ghost dwelling in them. And they're not walking according to the will of the flesh, but as the Holy Spirit would lead them. And if we have not the Spirit of Christ, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, what does the Bible say about that man? We just read it. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You know what the Pharisees and scribes say? They say, well, I've got a record of praying every day. And I've prayed three times a day every day for the past 30 years. I've not missed a Sabbath day service down at the temple in all of my life. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul had all of those things as well. But you know what it came down to? It came down to dung that Paul might have the righteousness that's in Jesus Christ. Paul got something that exceeded everything he was able to do. Paul received the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And so if any man, I believe God's, God could have wrote whatever here if he would have desired and if that would have been the plan. But he doesn't say if any man has a record of baptism. Now if any man have not a church membership, if any man have not a profession, he doesn't say any of those things. But the standard is if you have not the Spirit, if the Holy Ghost of God has never moved in and regenerated you, then you do not belong to Christ. If I do not belong to Christ, then I'm accountable to the law. And when I stand before God, the law is not destroyed. The law is still firm. When I stand before God outside of Jesus, I can know what's going to happen. God's going to take the law of God and He's going to take the record of my life and we're going to begin to check. I had a training class last week. They had a big test. At the end of it, the teachers, they had a sheet with all the right answers marked on it. And they took your test and they laid it down beside that grade and they went through it. You know what they were looking for? To see if I had the same answer. You know what God's going to do? He's going to take the law and He's going to lay my life beside the law and He's going to see if I measure up. 
I don't have to wait till I get there to know how that's going to turn out for me. God's told me how that's going to turn out. All of those that stand before the great white throne that are judged out of the books, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. There's not one going to be accepted. So then what should I do? Well, if I'm going to study the law, if I'm going to know anything about the Word of God, i tell you where it all points me to. Paul says in Galatians, the law was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. As I look at the righteousness of God, as I look at how far short that I've came from the righteousness of God, what it ought to make me to do is look to the one that's got the answer for the problem I've got. I've failed. I've broken the law. God, there's no way I can be accepted, but God's given us His Son, Jesus Christ that we might be accepted. You know what I ought to do? I ought to come to Him. Does that not make sense? I ought to come to God that I might receive righteousness not of my own, but of His. But now how foolish would it be? How foolish would it be for me to take the knowledge of the law and say, well, I'm good enough. I'm going to take my chances. and I'm going to stand before God. That man has got no hope. 